all Armchair Coaching Podcast episodes have been edited by Coach James Heath. Follow Coach James Heath on Twitter at jrockfordheath. And if you are interested in starting your own podcast, contact Coach Heath and he will help you get set up with everything that you need for podcasting. Thank you, Coach Heath. I couldn't do it without you, brother. I want to thank Coach Anthony Stone for the opportunity to be a contributing author to his new magazine, the Coach Stone Football Coaching Magazine, From the Field to Football Podcasts, Coaching in the Digital Era. This is a great opportunity for me to get out there and grow the community of the podcast. Uh, so if you're looking for some free football content, go ahead and follow the link that I'm going to provide in the description of this episode below. Uh, and you're going to get some free stuff uh, from including from me, from Coach Steve, from the Coach Steve Show, Coach PJ Davis from the Shavehead Podcast, uh, Coach Matt Barkley, Bartley from the Game Records and Slobberknockers Podcast, Coach Nick Banstra from his Kick and Cover Podcast, the Gap Down Backer Podcast, and also Coach Dustin Mills from the Anchor Down Podcast, as well as many others in the future. So if you are interested in free football content, and most of us coaches are, do us a huge favor and follow the link and like and subscribe to this magazine. It will help us out tremendously. Thank you. This episode is brought to you in part by Second Skull. Second Skull is a protective headgear company focused on helping to keep athletes safe and to help keep athletes on the field participating in the sports that they love. Their products are patented, tested, and proven to reduce direct and rotational impacts to the head. Their technology is trusted by several athletic organizations and the United States military. Their pro cap is designed with the grant from the National Football League. This protective skull cap is the ultimate in thin, lightweight, and breathable protection. The pro cap is comparable to other skull caps that do not offer such protection, measuring at just two millimeters thick and weighing less than 2.4 ounces. The pro cap improves protection for all players when worn under their helmet and is perfect for football, baseball, hockey, and lacrosse. Their pro band is designed in collaboration with professional players and clubs in Spain. This protective headband provides superior protection with an aesthetic and athletic look. The pro band has a unique five panel construction with a reinforced forehead panel to deliver a natural feel and ultimate ball control at just four millimeters thick and a weight of 1.4 ounces. The pro band provides protection for all players in non-helmeted sports and activities and is ideal for soccer athletes. Listeners of the Armchair Coaching Podcast can go to secondskull.com and save 20% on any products purchased from that website with the discount code armchair. That's A-R-M-C-H-A-I-R in all caps. Welcome to the Armchair Coaching Podcast. My name is Coach Sheffer. I am your host. And today we have another great guest. Today we have Coach Mike uh, Giancola. Did I say that correctly? You got it. Yep. Awesome. Uh, currently the defensive coordinator at Bridgewater College in Bridgewater, Virginia, which I'm not sure if you knew this coach is actually my alma mater. So um, that's one of the reasons I reached out to you because I was pretty excited to uh, be able to talk to you and uh, promote Bridgewater a little bit. Um, so welcome onto the podcast, coach. I appreciate it. You should have led with that, man. Like, <laughs> I, would, uh, I mean, like I said, it took us a little while to get this thing going, but uh, I'd have gotten, uh, I'd have tried to get on here a little sooner. <laughs> no, but this is awesome, man. I appreciate you having me on. Awesome, Coach. Well, um, the first question is one that I ask every coach on the podcast is um, I'm fascinated by every coach's individual story because we all seem to have our own unique path 
Uh, can you take a little while to tell the listeners about your football coaching journey? Basically, how did you end up where you are today? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it, it, when you meet me, if you've ever met me, uh, you can look at me right away and you know my playing days of football ended in high school. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm five foot five on a good day, to be quite honest, <laughs> um, depending on the shoes I'm wearing as well. But uh, no, you know, so I was... I was very fortunate and I am very fortunate in my career. Uh, it hadn't been too, too long, but and I'm going to talk about some of the, you know, my playing experience in high school because it connects. Um, but I've really only been a part of two programs my entire life. So I, I played and graduated uh, from Westfield high school there in Chantilly uh, in Northern Virginia. Uh, and then uh, after I went to college, I, I came back coached there. And then uh, I made the transition to Bridgewater almost four years ago. But, uh, you know, really for me, it, it's been all about the influences that I've had. I mean, I, I'm probably going to say this a ton uh, on the show, but I, I'm extremely fortunate to have been around as a player and as a coach, just tremendous coaches and staffs that have allowed me to grow. You know, so like if you think about it, when I was a player, Tom Burbanek was my head coach, uh, just uh, recently retired from coaching football at Flint Hill. Uh, you know, won a couple state championships there. It was a head coach at Fairfax for a very long time. Uh, and then, you know, I played for a defensive coordinator. Uh, his name is Carol Craig. And, and, you know, Coach Craig was one of those guys that demanded a ton from everybody in a good way. Um, and uh, I'll always remember this. So one of the first practices as a sophomore, so like our when I was at Westfield, the freshman team and the, you know, the varsity and JV teams are separate. Um, and so, yeah, you run the same defense and offense, you know, conceptually and things like that. But, uh, I remember getting up, you know, and having a, my first varsity practice or one of them and I couldn't line up <laughs> and coach Craig, I mean, chewed me out so bad. And it, it, to be honest, it, it scared the hell out of me to the point where I immediately went home, I grabbed a notebook and I started diagramming and it was really just, where do I line up as the free safety? And, and, you know, what, what do I do? And then obviously as I got further into this and understanding and really kind of becoming an understudy of his in a lot of ways, you know, understanding our, our base defense and then building off of it. I had this notebook and I got to find it. It's somewhere in my dad's house, I bet. But, you know, it was really my first, uh, my first experience with being a, you know, a coach, even though I was a player, you know, having to draw things up, work things out, see how things fit and all that. And then, um, you know, I went away to college. I would go back to Westfield uh, in the summer and help, you know, a couple of weeks before I'd have to go back to school, uh, just you know, literally moving bags around, doing all that stuff. Uh, when I graduated, I was, uh, yeah, I had an opportunity because my linebackers coach there, Kyle Simmons, when I was a player, had just become the head coach at Westfield. And I contacted him and he was able to uh, get me on staff as an assistant to an assistant, which was awesome. <laughs> so I get to, I got to really be an understudy and there wasn't too much pressure on me being, you know, 24 years old. And um, I really grew from there. But then you think about the staff that was put together at Westfield at the time, you know, in my five years there, you're talking the, the, the people under coach Simmons, you know, so it was uh, Rob Everett uh, who coached here at Bridgewater. Uh, he and I coached here together as well as Westfield. Um, he's now doing, professional analytic data for football teams all over the country. 
uh, you know, heavily involved in the Go Army Edge app and, and things like that. So I was obviously got mentored by him, John Shields, uh, who's now the head coach at Centerville High School, Pete Bendorf. Uh, you know, he's been a, a stalwart figure in coaching in Northern Virginia, getting up to almost, you know, 40 years now, you know, whether he was at Oakton or you know, started South County, uh, you know, is back at ways at Westfield now uh, being as an assistant. But, you know, we just – I've just been very blessed in a lot of ways to be around people. And then you talk about, you know, all the influence that coach Clark has and, you know, the people that I've been around here and, you know, essentially I've been able to not attach myself to people, right? Like I'm not just riding on people's coattails by any mean, but I have been able to have a tremendous amount of influence placed upon me, uh, to really build me into the coach that I am today. And, and you know, I give credit to a lot of other people in terms of, you know, how I got, how I got here, especially when you talk about, like I'm saying, the, the work ethic that was instilled in me, what it looks like to overcome adversity, you know, all those life lessons that football is so just so great at teaching young men. Um, and it, it, it has allowed me, like I said, to, to now be a, college coordinator, you know, and being a college coach was something I dreamed of forever. It's, it's, it's been a, it's just a tremendous experience for me. That's awesome, coach. Um, Now, most of the listeners here on the podcast are high school coaches. And so they're, you've had the unique opportunity to be both a high school coach and a uh, college coach in the D3 level. So you, you'd be more apt to be able to answer this question than anybody else. But, um, could you take a moment to describe kind of like what's the daily life of a college coach at the D3 level? And then also like, what are some similarities and differences between D3 and high school coaching? You know, so I think people would be shocked at how similar uh, coaching in high school and coaching at the division three level are. And, you know, really, I, I bet you it's very similar all the way up through, you know, some of the division ones, it, depending on where you are, you know, it's a little different at Alabama, I think, than here, but <laughs> um, no, but it, the, the idea is as a coach, you know, coach is a fancy word for teacher. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether you're teaching kids, like when I was in high school, I was teaching kids history. Um, but instead of teaching history, now I teach G defense, you know, <laughs> I teach, uh, leadership skills uh, and, and all those things primarily. Um, but as a coach, it doesn't matter what level you wear a lot of hats. And like I was saying, depending on the programs that you're at, how well funded and well staffed they are, you know, I'm sure many, many higher level coaches are not painting fields. We are, <laughs> you know, you're not moving equipment. We are, you know, like every year the helmets come in after being reconditioned, we go down, we get in the back of a truck, we bring these big boxes in and then place them in the equipment room. Um, you know, but the idea is it, it really put it this way. Coaching in high school, I think prepares you to be, if you're a good coach and a good teacher and you're, and you're really in it for the kids and things like that, if you can do it at that level, you can, you can find success at the next level in a lot of ways. Now, depending on how high you want to go, obviously, then you start, you know, how, how smart are you? How talented are you? How good are you with X's and O's and all that? But, you know, really it all comes down to certainly player development, but being able to do the nitty gritty things in a lot of ways. Um, and so 
you know, I think it's, it's great for any coach. And I'm not saying every coach has to go teach in high school, but I will tell you, it will benefit you. Uh, and like I was saying, really the, the biggest difference is I don't teach in a classroom anymore. Um, now I've been lucky. You know, I, I know a lot of the professors here, we've got a really, uh, good coaching, uh, minor here at Bridgewater. And so I've actually been able to guest lecture, you know, show, show the kids, especially some of the things that we do from a preparation standpoint, you know, a develop player development standpoint, uh, you know, talk to the kids about why it's important to invest in, you know, the young men that we're coaching and things like that. And, um, but you know, that, that, that's probably the biggest difference. Now I do have academic roles. You know, I'm an academic advisor. Uh, I run study halls, I run tutoring sessions. You know, I, I do all that stuff just like a regular, I shouldn't say regular teacher, just like any other teacher would. Um, but it, it, to be honest, it, it, it's all about, I should say, the fact that you got to wear, like I was saying, a lot of hats <laughs> and, and not in a bad way, not in a bad way, but you know, it's, it's probably a lot more similar than different, which I think, like I was saying earlier, would probably shock some people. That's, uh, that's awesome coach. Uh, now this, uh, question I've asked, you know, some coaches like, what's it like to work with the head coach that you're under and, and, and things of that nature before, but this one's a little interesting because I actually have some personal experience, uh, as a player under coach Clark, um, not long. Uh, it was only about a year and a half. Um, and I had a, I had a bad injury in high schools and I was never able to get over it. Um, and I did a lot of, uh, like film and stuff like that for coach when I wasn't able to play. And I always felt like coach Clark was kind of like a father figure as a player. Um, you know, not, not a whole lot of screaming and yelling, uh, but he was definitely a good relationship type coach. Um, now what I'm really interested in knowing is what is coach Clark like in the coach's office? Because I never actually got to see that side of him. Um, and do you have any good stories about him that you might be able to tell the listeners about what he's like? Uh, you know, nothing specific, uh, at least from a story standpoint, but what I'll tell you coach is, you know, coach Clark is, he doesn't, he doesn't change. You know, it's not like he's one person on the field. He's one person at home. He's one person in the office. You know, he, he doesn't have like a split personality complex by any means. He's a, he is the same guy all the time. And, and I'm not saying that by any means in a bad way, right? Like, you know, he is uh, extremely uh, wise. You know, he's been doing this for a very long time. You know, he's, he cares tremendously about his players and his coaches and this community. And I'm not just talking about, you know, uh, the people that work in the athletic department. You know, I mean, he's been a part of the Bridgewater community now for almost 30 years. Um, and, you know, he's a guy that will, will always give great advice. You know, he's, he's somebody that I am very lucky to, to work under uh, and grow, grow from, you know, and, and in a lot of ways, you know, he's allowed me, you know, to become a much better coach, much better man, a you know, better father. Now, you know, got a young son and, um, you know, it's just, he's one of those guys. I, I say this to anybody I can, you know, if they build a Mount Rushmore of all time, great people, you know, he's got to go up there. Uh, and so, you know, the guy that you saw on the field as a player is, is going to be the same guy that you see in the office. And you know, he jokes around, he yucks it up, you know, he'll be serious, obviously. Um, but, 
yeah, he is, he is such a, a, a great rock for people, uh, not only just a part of the program, but everybody surrounding it, um, especially with the consistency that he provides. You know, like, hey, there's one thing to talk about. Oh, he's been here forever, but you never have to guess, you know, what he's about. You never have to guess uh, what, he's, what is he going to be like that day? You know, it's, it's none of that stuff. And, you know, when you talk about how, uh, how intense this profession can be, and I'm not just talking about from a work, literally, you know, if you don't win, usually lose your job, (laughs) like those types of things, you know, that, that, that aspect of consistency is extremely important. Um, and and it really allows for, uh, growth in a lot of ways from, you know, anybody that's around or associated with them. But, uh, like I said, I'm sure, you know, a lot about that (laughs) having, having played for him, but yeah. And, uh, one, one memory that I have of him that really sticks out was the day that I walked into his office to tell him that um, I had decided not to play anymore. And um, I think he knew immediately by the look on my face, why I was walking in because he knew my story. He knew about my injury in high school and what had been going on. Um, And, but he was very gracious about it. And he talked me through like what he thought I should probably do next. What are some things that I should work on? And he also asked, and I'm not even sure if he remembers this or not. He asked me, are you interested in coaching at all? And, you know, I had not thought about it until that point. And at at that point, I was like, I haven't really thought about it yet. But he said, you know, from the moment you got here, we noticed that you were very, um, intelligent and you understood the X's and O's you understood what you might not have been the most athletic kid on the field, but you understood exactly what your job was and what you're supposed to do. And so he's a huge influence. That conversation was a huge influence into what I actually became today. Uh, And that ignited a drive to become a coach. Um, And so I'm not sure he, he knew that I might have to talk to him about that, but, um, he is a huge influence on who I am today. And so that's one of the reasons I wanted to ask you about him because uh, I think the, the rest of the, the coaching community needs to know about coach. Um, but. No, but, it, you bring it, up a, you bring up a good point there though. Like, you know, he is, he's one of those guys that when you take the helmet off, it's not like he, he pretends you don't exist, mm-hmm. you know, or if you're not a starter you know, he's just that, ah, all right, whatever, you know, like, he does it when, especially in the recruiting process, we take a lot of pride in the people that we bring in and, and obviously we vet them and like, you know, they've, they've got to be the right fit for us, you know, mm-hmm. not just we have to be the right fit for them. That's a two way street. So he does, he, he, he invests tremendously in the people that are in this program. And, you know, you're right. This is college football and being a, a student athlete at this level is difficult to say the least. Um, but he always finds ways to, to get the best out of people, you know? And like you said, you know, he knows, can see in you and, and sees in others, you know, like the potential and what they may want to do. And it is, you know, just because you're not playing doesn't mean you can't be a part of the program. Everybody's got a role, which is extremely important for guys to understand because you, know, you feel, you want to feel helpless. Think about being a, you know, a college athlete where, you know, you don't know if the program that you're a part of really even cares about you. <laughs> like, yeah. You talk about feeling hopeless, uh, but that's not how it is here. And like you said, yeah, that's a great story uh, that you had. Is it? 
you know, you're not the, I'm sure not the only one that has done that. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and you, you mentioned recruiting there. So that's going to kind of bring us into the next topic here. Um, you know, not talking skill because we had a, a conversation on, on, uh, Twitter back and forth about how you guys take pride in uh, culture building and player development. Um, and obviously recruiting at the college level has a lot to do with the culture of the program. Um, so what are some like specific non-talent based qualities that you and the staff at Bridgewater are actually looking for in potential recruits? You know, so the, without sounding cliche, you know, because everybody will answer that question with, oh, they have to be you know, great kids, character. All and yes, that is all true. You know, like I'm not saying that that stuff doesn't matter because it, it matters a lot. You know, but we talk a lot about uh, maintenance. You know, are you a high or low maintenance guy? You know, and, and what does that entail? And I'm not saying that we don't have high maintenance guys. You know, the guys that need their not handheld, but certainly need a lot more hands-on attention, whether it's academically, uh, you know, film study, you know, all those types of things. Um, but, you know, really what it is, is, is the investment that we're going to make in a kid worth, you know, the, you know, potential the issues that may come along. And, and I'm not saying that everybody's perfect. Like, and we know that, right. You know, everybody comes from different backgrounds, different family situations. Uh, you know, it, you know, some guys are you know very wealthy. Other guys come from broken homes, you know, and like, that's a real thing. And, and that's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about maintenance, right. You know, but the idea is, are they somebody that can buy into the things that we believe, you know, being the ultimate teammate and what that entails you know, building the foundation for love, trust, and unselfishness, which we believe are the the three cornerstones of what it what it takes to be a great teammate and a, and to build a great program. Um, and you know, are those guys able to, despite you know, maybe he's not one guy's not as smart as another. You know, one guy doesn't have as much money as the other pick kid. You know, all that stuff. But like, are they able to become a part of this family? Like, and that's really what it is. And I know in this process, uh, I'm saying the recruiting process, I think people blow a lot of smoke. I think people say things that, you know, aren't necessarily what they appear to be. Uh, and, you know, that word family gets thrown around a lot. And, you know, for us, we take a lot of pride, like we were just talking about with Coach Clark. This thing starts top down uh, in this family that we build. And it's a new one every year, you know, it's, it's never the same. And, and so, you know, that obviously takes a lot of work to keep it running at a high level. Um, but, you know, it really boils down to, like I said, when I say maintenance, you know, can you, can you become a part of this thing? And then, you know, coach Clark's mantra is once you're an Eagle, you're always an Eagle. And then that, that, that weight carries, not only responsibilities, but benefits, you know, certainly not just your four years here, but through the rest of your life. And so, you know, that's one big thing. Uh, another one is uh, the ability or more so the willingness to learn. Uh, you know, we, we are big on growing, like I was talking about earlier, young men, not just as football players, but, you know, I firmly believe that we've done a good job. If you become a better husband, a father, a son, a brother, you know, all these roles that you'll play in your life, um, and as you get older, they 
tend to carry more responsibility. Uh, and so, you know, that, that willingness to not only learn as a, as a football player, because we do need to have guys that, you know, we grow with their football IQ and things like that. But, you know, I talk with guys all the time. You can't be the same guy you are at 18 as you are at 22. You know, and you can't be the same at 22 or 25. You know, and I joke around with people like, I probably wasn't a mature adult until I was like 26. <laughs> you know, like you're always a work in progress. And, you know, it's it's all about that uh, that ability to, to develop. And and that's really what we, we look for in guys. And now, you know, that has, again, nothing to do with talent. Um, you know, because another thing that we really – we've really built into the, the culture piece here is uh, the ability to dynamically develop, you know, not stay stagnant, not to say that you won't hit plateaus, right? Everybody does, but the willingness to push through and learn from mistakes and how to get better. And uh, you know, there, there's a tremendous amount of value to that in, in your growth as an individual. Uh, And so, you know, it's really those, I'd say those two things primarily, um, that, that we're looking for in terms of non, like not on the field things. Um, but that's it, probably, probably the two major ones. Yeah. I hate to do this to you again, but I have another co- a story from my time. Oh, at, let's uh, do this Coach thing. Clark, man. Uh, my freshman year. Um, I remember distinctly, I can't remember if it was early in the season or midway, but I do remember that there was a senior wide receiver who had, and I remember the story because Coach Clark started the conversation during practice. He had been kind of a, uh, I wouldn't say a problem, but, you know, kind of a party kid and getting into trouble every once in a while. But he had to take a year off. He was off of the team for a year because of something that had happened, something that he had done. Um, But he came back, Coach Clark allowed him back onto the team. And when he came back, he seemed to have learned from his mistakes and grow from them. And coach Clark allowed him to stand up in front of the rest of the team and give a speech about how, you know, I made this mistake. So don't make the same mistakes that I made. Uh, And then it, it went along that line. But what I noticed was that the entire team rallied around this guy. He might not have been the most talented player on the team, but they rallied around him as a leader. So the fact that the culture under coach Clark built up a player like that, who had been kind of a problem kid for a while into a full on leader that the team rallied around, that's impressive. And that instilled in me the thought that culture is important, you know, and I didn't understand the word culture until like, you know, more recently when I'm actually a coach, but that team building, that culture piece, is very important. Uh, yeah. And that's another story that I remember from my time at Bridgewater. So, I mean, talent only takes you so far. Yeah, like there is a ceiling when there's talent. Yeah. When you're talking about talent, obviously, and you know, the programs that do it right and that consistently win, they blend great talent with great culture. And that's yeah. a real thing. And you know, to hit on another thing you kind of said there, because uh, I know that's not the last time a situation like that has come up. Right. And so, right. uh, Everybody makes mistakes, man. <laughs> you can't pretend like people are perfect, especially in a day and age where everybody shows, you know, living the best life on Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat, you know, whatever it is, right? Um, but 
really something we talk with our guys all the time about, and it could be on the field or could be off the field is in life, you know, mistakes are fixed with great effort. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, depending on the situation, that effort may look very different. Uh, But, you know, you're right. If people are willing to change, truly change, if they're, if they're willing to make amends, if they are willing to rectify, uh, you know, things that they've done and truly change from them, why wouldn't you give it a, get another shot, man? You know, you think back to, and I'm sure people that will listen to this, think back to when you were 18. Tell me you didn't do something stupid when you were 18 years old. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, come on. Still do stupid stuff. And yeah, there's no doubt, right? <laughs> yeah. and, you know, uh, a lot less stupid, I think, I hope. Right. <laughs> but uh, no, but it, that's a real thing in life. And, you know, the people that are willing to stand on the soapbox and vilify people for making a mistake, it's like, come on. Right. you're you're full of it and and that's and that's not to say that if someone continues to make the same mistakes or worse mistakes like okay yeah, there's a breaking point obviously you don't get an, an unlimited number of chances um that's not what life is but uh but no if, if people are willing to to accept responsibility for their actions and if they are willing to uh, change things about you know themselves or you know how they treat people or whatever it is you know, I am all for all for giving people another chance. And, you know, that's, that's gotta be something, especially like you're talking about leadership. Like you've got to be willing to do that when you're uh, when you're leading a, a program or a business or whatever it is, you know, and it's all about growing people, right? Like we talk about constant development. Yeah. You've got me excited because we're actually uh, I'm coaching at Brentsville district high school and we're actually sending you guys at least two of yeah. our current senior class. And yeah. uh, one of them I direct, this episode is brought to you in part by High and Tight Footballs. High and Tight Footballs are the world's only self-contained, pressure-measuring, multi-sensory, instant, audible feedback training footballs on the market. They have been used by NFL Hall of Fame players, NFL coaches, collegiate All-Americans, and players at all levels. Listeners of the Armchair Coaching Podcast can actually receive a 10% discount on any products purchased from High and Tight by using the discount Link below in the description and by using the discount code ACP. Make sure you type in ACP at checkout to get a 10% discount on any items purchased from highandtight.com. This episode was brought to you in part by Knack Bags. Knack was created to make it easier for multitasking mobile professionals to get from point A to point B without lugging a bunch of bags. Their multi-purpose products combine the best features of a stylish daily-use computer backpacks with a patent-pending hidden compartment that you can easily access. Expand and pack like a suitcase whenever you need extra space for travel, the gym, or anywhere your life takes you. You can find Knack products exclusively at knackbags.com. Listeners of the Armchair Coaching Podcast can check the description of this episode below to find a special link to go to purchase Knack products. I'd like to thank our new sponsor, Launchpad Kickoff Tee, for joining us here on the Armchair Coaching Podcast family. Coaches, are you looking for that competitive edge, but you might not be paying attention to the kickoff game? Well, this is the company for you. I'd like you to go check them out. I have one sitting right here in my hand. It's incredibly unique. It's got a very large surface area and incredibly flexible wings. And so what this does for you here, it gives you extreme flexibility with how you want to kick off. Do you want to use the patented forward lean 
Well, if you don't know what that is, go ahead and check out their website. You can do just about anything you want. You can dial up different types of squib kicks just with the different angles. You can literally do just about anything with this. And the nice thing is they send you this piece of paper here that goes with diagrams that show you all the different angles and techniques that they've discovered so far. And they are incredibly helpful on their website. I highly recommend you check them out. If you're interested, do me a favor. I want you to go to launchpadkickoftcom slash ACP. Make sure you add the slash ACP. And if you're interested in buying one, if you go to this specific website, you can find the link, the, the link in the description below, you actually get a discount. You're going to get a 10% discount just from using the, the Armchair Coaching Podcast link. If you want to buy one, if you want to buy two, that's a savings of 25%. And if you buy three, you're actually going to get one for free. All right. So those are some huge deals that you're going to get there. So do us a huge favor. Check out our sponsor at Launchpad Kickoff Tea. Make sure that you go to this specific site, launchpadkickofftea.com slash ACP. Launchpadkickofftea.com slash ACP on the kickoff. It's not like all the other kickoff teas that you have. It's incredibly unique. I actually have coached. Uh, name is Jake Johnson. Great kid. No doubt. A really good athlete. He's not the biggest guy, but he gives all out effort. And I'm excited. I, I want to come watch and play for you guys. Um, hey, no doubt. Yeah. You just come. I assume we can have fans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> coming up, but no doubt. Yeah, exactly. Ho hopefully uh, next year's season and the year after will be a little better. But um, let's move on to the next uh, kind of topic here. Everybody likes to talk and, and hear about uh, X's and O's. That's kind of like the, the main pull on football podcasts. But um, so you're the defensive coordinator at Bridgewater. What is the uh, base defensive scheme? You know, like what are, what are the main fronts that you use? Um, what are some of the main coverages that you guys use? Um, and then we can kind of go on from there. So through a very extended coaching tree. <laughs> uh, you know, I come from the line of uh, like the Bud Foster G defense uh, uh, philosophies. Um, you know, like I said, I worked with John Shields and Rob Everett, who, who were two extremely influential figures, not only in my coaching life, but in my life life. Um, and, you know, like when I first started at, at Westfield as a coach, we were, we were running G defense. And so that's what I, that's what I grew up with. We ran something similar in high school when I was playing. Um, yeah. But everybody ran 21 personnel at that point. If you saw 11, it was like, Oh my God, what's happening. <laughs> you know, that's very different uh, even 15 years ago uh, than it is today. Right. But um, you know, so we base have a four down front, you know, it's, it's that four two five uh, structure where, you know, we really play with the four down linemen, uh, a true Mike, and then an adjusting linebacker. Uh, and then it's five defensive backs, but like our strong safety is, is a hybrid, you know, he's a, he's a linebacker that, that can do safety things or vice versa, the way that you think about it. Uh, so really structurally in our defense, it's, uh, really a three safety defense in a lot of ways. You know, we play with a strong, a free, and just like we have an adjusting linebacker, we have an adjusting safety, you know, so the, both of those guys are really, it's those two. And then the strong safety, what we call the whip. Uh, they are 
kind of the key key positions in our defense that allow us to be so flexible, be so versatile. Uh, and, and really, I know everything looks good on a sheet of paper, right? But we can play G defense and line up against anything that you want to put out there uh, because, like I said, of that uh, flexibility that we have built into the, into the system. Um, so that's kind of what we base out of from a, from a structure standpoint. Uh, you know, in terms of coverage, it's kind of evolved over time. You know, we were a read two quarters team for a very long time. You know, people called palms, uh, but it gotten more into some robber stuff, a lot more man free. Um, and, you know, in those realms, obviously come a number of different coverages, right? There are a lot of ways to run cover one. There are a lot of ways to run robber. You and I were talking before this, there are a lot of ways to run cover three, not that we are a cover three team. That's not who we are. We like to play split field a little more and, uh, put some stress on our linebackers because they're athletic and can do it um, and ask people to cover more space, you know, and, and really aggressively match. We're a pattern match team, uh, not really spot droppers. Um, you know, we like to, we like to use our athletes and allow them to be aggressive. And, you know, even though we're playing zone, it all turns into man at some point, <laughs> you know, if we talk about having match players, underneath and then zoners over top, you know, true like quarterback eye deep half players and things like that. But, um, but yeah, that's kind of the gist of it uh, from a base, you know, we'll get into the odd front um, really not that we fell into it, but uh, the tight front, uh, true three safety stuff, like where you can play with three high guys um, used a lot of that. I mean, looking back at our numbers, I think we we're in that 80% of the time last season, even though, like you said, we base out of the even front. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of where we start with that stuff. Yeah. We're, uh, very similar. Like we do have a four, two, five in our defense. It's not our base. Our base is a 33 stack. Um, but we're very similar, like with the types of players that, that you were talking about. We, we basically have three safeties, but we call those, um, overhang guys. We call them linebackers. There are outside linebackers in our system. Um, and so, but very similar, they're hybrids, able to do coverage, they're able to do safety things, but they're also kind of linebackers at the same time. Uh, one of the things that, I know this really isn't a question here on the list, but um, a lot of people are interested in, you know, cause it seems like everybody runs spread. And so most defenses are geared towards defending the spread. What are some things that you guys do if you play a team who runs more um, you know, I formation pro style, you know, maybe triple option types. I, I know Washington is Washington and Lee still spread option or it's, it's like wing T option. Okay. Uh, it's, it's changed a little bit, I think in the, in the last few years, but it's, it's the same principle. Yes. Yeah. So, so what are, what are some things that you guys like to do um, to defend like different, different, you know, non-conventional right. offenses? Well, let's talk about, because the options, like that's a whole different animal. Yeah. Um, and that's one of those things in a lot of ways where when you play teams like that, not that you have a separate game plan, right? Like, or like you completely change your defense, but it gets real specific. Mm -hmm. um, and not in a bad way, because this is something that, again, talk about being fortunate. I was just fortunate to be around guys that did it this way. And it's a really smart way to coach football, but you know, when you talk about installing your base defense, yes, you need to understand your run fits. Yes, you need to understand base coverage, but you also need to, in day one, 
install your option rules. You know, even if you will never play a team that that runs triple or you know navy option, you know the, the flex bone stuff. Uh, everybody runs some form of option. You know, R, RPO that is downfield option. You know it, it, all the zone read stuff like that is all option. Um, and so understanding who is responsible for what part of it, where you're protected, uh, how you can uh, give people leeway to play in a window as opposed to having to commit to the line of scrimmage right now by setting your front is an extremely important thing. Um, but, you know, really installing those option rules day one in base, right? Not that it necessarily exactly applies to all option teams, but understanding like, hey, I've got the three technique. I'm an overhang. I don't have, I am the extra run fitter, which means now I get to play, you know, the window in the RPO, or I get to be the guy that they can't block and fit with, you know, I don't have to be just the quarterback player. I can play dive to quarterback to pitch and those types of things. Um, but really against the heavier personnel teams, what we always view it as is, do you have enough to defend two back power? You know, with the principle being, if they're going to, when I say pull two guys, right? Mm -hmm. Just because a fullback is kicking somebody out, not that we're calling that a pull, but schematically, that is a pull. Mm -hmm. You know, they are creating, they are down blocking and creating an extra gap. Um, and so the idea is, is in keeping your numbers sound, you always have to have two more guys to a side of the ball than they have to block up front. So when we talk about that, we talk about with our guys' surfaces. So the center is always the divider. So if you have a guard and a tackle, that is a two-man surface. If you have a guard tackle tight end, that's a three-man surface. If you've got a wing on there, that's a four-man surface, right? So if you're going to defend power mm -hmm. to a two-man surface, you need four people or the ability to get four people there. To a three-man surface, you need five. You know, and so that's kind of how we structure things in base, even though the team might not be running true power, right? Uh, but if you're going to get into heavy personnel, gap schemes going to get involved. And I'm not saying we're not worried about zone, uh, but it's about do you have enough to fit the box mm -hmm. and have someone they can't block? And that doesn't mean you got to put everybody in into the into the line or into the second level. It was in our defense. We ask our secondary guys to make a lot of tackles from the third level. You're going to read hands on, you're going to trigger, you're going to get down and fire down and you're going to be the guy that they can't block and you're going to have to make a tackle. So even though it might look like we're light in the box, we're really not based on our reads. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, that's really kind of how it starts in base. And then obviously you do some different things, uh, whether it's run pressure, protecting yourself with knifing, you know, three or four man surfaces uh, with an overhang, stuff like that, that, you know, kind of builds off that base game plan. I honestly hadn't thought of that concept before, making sure you have the surfaces. I'm going to steal that from you. <laughs> when, oh, I mean, if I but, ever go back to the defensive side of the ball, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're, any guy that's ever coached on defense is always a defensive coach at heart. There's no doubt. Yeah. No, but it's, it's what it comes down to. It's, you know, because in our defense, and this is what we talk with our guys about all the time, is uh, if the quarterback hands the ball off, we will have two people they cannot block mm -hmm. because the ball carrier can't block for himself. I guess I say that. You, know, you go see what Derrick Henry does every week, right? <laughs> that guy blocks yeah. for himself. Yeah. Um, but no, like in theory, if you're playing uh, 
you know, football where, you know, it's handoff. You now have nine guys to block and we have 11 to tackle. Right. And not to mention, we always talk about the sidelines as being defenders. So really conventional offenses that don't involve the quarterback, we get to play 13 on nine. You know, and when you push into the red zone, the end line becomes your 14th defender because they can't throw the ball out of the back of it. Uh, but it, it, it's really just understanding by scheme and as you install and you fit things out, hey, you two, you're going to be the two they can't block if they run this play. Now, this is – I'm not saying that you know we're always vice tackling everything, right, because offensive guys are smart too. <laughs> they can scheme and formation into, into looks and numbers they like. Um, where your unblocked eyes may be on the backside of the play. You know, they can block everybody on the front side, but then all of a sudden you got to have people scrape and run alleys or pursue, which is obviously not the situation you want to be in on defense. But, um, but no, that's what it boils down to. And, you know, that's, it, it makes it a lot easier for the kids to understand, you know, and, and that's, that's really the end goal, right? You know, when we talk about coaches being teachers, it doesn't matter what you put on the board. If the kids don't understand it, what are we doing? <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, as a defensive coach, I've had this conversation with other defensive coaches before. Um, you know, it's the question of what is the hardest offense to defend, which is most defense, most defensive guys, they like to take the, the easy way out and say that the hardest offense to uh, defend is the one with good players. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yes, you are right. You know, a good player, a great player can make any defense look silly. It doesn't matter what they're doing in scheme wise, but schematically, is there a, is there a, a, a scheme that you guys face that you're just like, I really hate facing these guys. doesn't matter like the, the skill level. Um, yes. So let me answer that kind of in two ways. Uh, I think the hardest offense to play against, and I'm not saying the hardest to scheme, the hardest one to play against is true triple option. You know, because those offenses are designed to stay on schedule. They are, uh, especially when they've got good coaches that can see what you're doing and diagnose it very quickly uh, and make adjustments. You know, they always have an op- They always have an answer. You know what I mean? And that's built into the idea of option. Now, the other thing I would tell you, uh, I think it's the hardest to play against. I don't necessarily think it's the hardest to scheme because what the way that we view it, teams that run option, okay, yeah, theoretically, you are reading us and you would argue that you dictate where the ball goes. And I would say, no, you don't. I do. You know, because if I'm going to play two, four eyes and you're going to get under center and run veer, if you're going to arc on the four eye, I get to decide where the ball goes. I can squat that kid and force a handoff, or I can go and take it right now and, and make subsequent calls to make, make it that way. That will tell you here's where the ball is going to go. And being able to teach that to the players in that Avenue makes it extremely empowering to them because now it's all right, you know, on this play, we're going to let the, we're going to let the dive happen. And now we're going to insert guys on it. Now they have to make plays and they have to make tackles and do all those things. But uh, on the next play, we're going to take dive with the front. And now all of a sudden we're going to string that thing out and here we go. Um, But I'll tell you this, if I was an offensive coordinator, I would run the hell out of triple option. Uh, The midline veer, the the whole nine. I love that offense. Um, 
Now, the hardest to defend, uh, any team that can sit in one or two personnel groupings Mm -hmm. but get into a million different formations, those are difficult to defend. And, And it's for two reasons. Number one, I think it forces defenses to be much more simple than they would be otherwise. And the uh, other side of it is you don't ever know, based on who who's on the field, potentially what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Now, I also think that those offenses can't be too too complicated. You know, you got to give you got to give up some things somewhere. But you know, at the end of the day, football is not a very complicated game. Score more points and give up less points. And and the more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the better you can disguise what you're doing, the harder it makes it on defenses. You know, so th- those those are the offenses that 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 can give defenses a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Shout out to all the triple option coaches out there who are listening. Absolutely. <laughs> um, on in our conversations before the podcast started, you mentioned that. Um, one of the things that the staff at Bridgewater, especially under Coach Clark, really takes to heart is building the culture and program and uh, player development. And you kind of mentioned it with some of the earlier questions before, but what are some ways that the staff at Bridgewater will intentionally build culture? What are what are some things that you guys do for like team building and things of that nature? So the, the implementa- implementation of our culture, uh, that begins in the recruiting process. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and not, we know that not everybody that we recruit is going to come here, right? You know, that, that, that's, that's their journey, not ours, right? You know, we are obviously going to recruit uh, really good players. And, you know, usually they are getting recruited by other very good schools, you know. So, uh, but we will tell them right up front the most important thing about what we do here is uh, our culture and the things that we do to grow it and defend it. Uh, so anytime I speak with a recruit uh, outside of here's a base introduction, here's who I am. Let me know about you, all those things. We immediately hop into, this is what we are about. Because if you're going to be a part of this uh, at the end, when you make your decision, you need to know exactly what you are walking into. Um, and so we, I mentioned it earlier. It's, it's all that idea of being the ultimate teammate, mm-hmm. you know, and what that looks like and what it takes and the, the mindset that you have to have. Um, and so when they get here, we are very intentional with making sure that those things are emphasized, whether it's in a meeting, we will have literal culture review meetings. <laughs> like This is what the, the ultimate teammate is. Here are non-negotiables. Um, you know, and how they all build off of one another, because it's not like we're just pulling, you know, catchphrases out, <laughs> you know, like everything is very purposeful and intentional with what we do. Um, you, know, you think about how we organize the locker room. Uh, I think that is something special. It's not like we just stick, hey, freshman, you go into this corner. Hey, seniors are over here, you know, by position group. Uh, it's, it's not even by number. You know, we will diagram. We have a big like stock diagram of our locker room. And we will go through and place people, you know, usually the the way that we kind of, at least in base, like to structure it is if you take four lockers, the two in the middle are a guy in the leadership or unity council, 
and then another maybe younger guy that is in a whether it's talent based or he's earned the trust of his teammates to be in a leadership position like those two guys go and then on either side it's uh usually a younger guy you know like a, an incomer that whether that's a freshman or a transfer or whatever it is uh just somebody that's new to the program and then you know we'll also stick people that need a little more cultural encouragement <laughs> if you want to call it that uh, no but you know guys that maybe are not as mature as some of those other guys you know because it is extremely important where, you know, not saying that everybody becomes the, the ultimate teammate or is the perfect, perfect guy to be around. But if you put people of influence around guys that are struggling to grasp the concepts, there is a much higher chance that uh, that will happen. Um, so, you know, th th those are a couple things. Um, you know, I mentioned the leadership council. Uh, you know, obviously teams have captains, players vote on those uh, with us. Um, but, you know, coach, coach has a, a group of guys. It's the seniors and then people that are voted in by the team that are, are the head. And anytime, you know, we're talking about making a major decision or uh, we obviously need player input, those guys are consulted immediately. Mm -hmm. uh, and you, you have to earn that. You know, it's not like I said, we're just picking random people to come to come help us make decisions about the program. But, you know, really the, what I loved about and what I love, it's not past tense, um, about how the culture was built here. It was built inside out. You know, when we talk about the ultimate teammate, those are words the players chose, uh, you know, a few years back when we needed a bit of a, a cultural reboot. Um, and, you know, I think anything meaningful, uh, that that comes from a program needs to start within the program. It, it can't it can't be you know given to people you know because it's just like any other concept. Are you really going to buy into something that's someone else's idea more than you would buy into your own ideas? I mean, absolutely not. Uh, now we are there as guides and shepherds of the culture. Don't get me wrong, uh, but we expect the players to uphold standards. There are standards that have been set. They do not change. Uh, and it is their job to police those things. And then when we have to get involved, it, it's probably because it's in an extreme circumstance. Um, and those are just a couple things. Uh, I don't know. Just trying to, I had it good enough for the, that, you know, but uh, if I think of anything else, I'll, I'll, I'll chime back in. Well, those are some great tips, Coach. Um, I honestly, I did not – I've never really heard about um, locker placement before when it came to uh, culture building, but that's that's an interesting concept. Uh, I I wonder how that would work in the high school level when you have, like, the – you have, like, varsity versus JV versus freshmen, so that might be a little difficult. Um, but that's very interesting way to think about it. And, uh, no, but it, it, and this is why it's important is seniors and older guys aren't the only leaders on the team. Mm -hmm. You know, there have got, to, there has got to be a tiered structure and it has got to be methodically organized. And, but also it, you got to make sure that it's procured, <laughs> you know, and now some kids will fall into leadership roles, you know, especially the kids that are talented and growing those kids into, into productive leaders is a huge part of our job. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk with guys sometimes, you know, whether they make a mistake at practice or they do something they're not supposed to do. And it's like, hey, man, 
whether or not you want this, because of your talent level, people will look at you and they will follow what you do. You know, and so that that responsibility of leading by example and doing those things, that that's not something that you get to choose. <laughs> you know, and that's why it's important for everybody to understand that you know, doing things the right way and uh, and really being able to uh, uphold, like I was saying, the standards that are that are there and that have been established. That's extremely important. But you know, like you said, there at some programs are varsity locker rooms, JV locker rooms, freshman locker rooms, and you know, I do it. I believe it's the job of the staff uh, and the people, the adults that are around the program to make sure that when guys get thrust or earn leadership positions, they know what to do. <laughs> and I'm not saying that they become instant leaders, right? You know, you think even in your experiences, whether it's as a coach now, as a player, as a teacher, you know, whatever it is, you know, there's a growth that needs to occur. And I feel like this is a common theme of the podcast, <laughs> but uh, it just, it doesn't happen magically. Right. You know, those kids have got to be groomed to understand this is the way it needs to be done and, and shown by those that have either come before them or that are in the higher leadership position, uh, how it should be done. Well, coach, I've got one last question for you. I, and I appreciate your time for this one. Um, a lot of the coaches that are listening to the podcast, you know, most of them are high school. A lot of high school coaches have the goal to eventually one day make the jump from high school to college, whether that be D3, another level, uh, whatever. But, you know, including myself, I do also have that goal one day. And I, I will say D3 is very attractive to me uh, since I played in it. And I, under, and I think I understand it more better than the other levels. Um, do you have any tips or words of wisdom for those high school coaches out there who are looking to one day make that jump? Yeah. Um, and this is just from personal experience, right? So whether it's pursuit of a job or it's a relationship that you have, whether with a spouse or a sibling, whatever it is, right? Uh, the best thing you can do in life is build great relationships and meaningful relationships. You know, and, and I'm not, I kind of alluded to this earlier, you know, you don't want to be that guy that's always viewed as just you know, trying to attach yourself to the next big thing and jump in between people, you know, like, you got to be able to get to know people. You got to be able to build trust. Uh, and, and that looks, it looks different in certain, certain circumstances. Right. Um, but you know, best piece of advice I can give is constantly talk to people. You know, some people will give you the time of day. Others will blow you off <laughs> just, just like any, anything else. But you know, if, if you really have the goal of trying to make the jump, sometimes you get lucky, but more often than not, it's because you, you've built a great relationship with somebody and they trust you enough to bring you, bring you along. Um, you know, and, and that literally happened to me, <laughs> I can't, uh, you know, with, with, uh, a few people. Right. But you know, it's, it was one of those things where, yes, it was always a goal of mine, but it wasn't the, the only goal. You know, and, and I've found that people that are successful, not just in this profession, but in any walk of life are ones that do things altruistically 
and they do things for the right reasons. And, you know, like I said, just because I get to coach football full time doesn't mean my I've abdicated my teaching responsibilities, mm-hmm. you know, and, or my mentor, my mentor role to, to young men and young athletes and things like that. And, you know, I think the approach that, you know, I took where it, it can happen. Great. But if it doesn't, it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, do things for the right reasons and, and you know, uh, and be able to see past this is the only thing that I want. Now, the other thing I'd say is never be above doing the grunt work. Uh, and, you know, that's where, like I was talking about earlier, being a high school coach, division three coach, you have to wear all these hats and you have all these different responsibilities and, and all these things. I think that is such a great experience because, you know, if and when anybody gets to the level where you get somebody else to do that for you, like whether it's by design or because you, you've become, you know, whether it's a head coach or something, number one, you will always uh, know what it's like to do that stuff. So you can then empathize with <laughs> what they're about to do. Right. But it also like the hard work doesn't ever go away. And so if, if you're, if you're willing to understand that it doesn't matter what level you get to, you always have to be willing to do that stuff. Uh, that that's, that's only going to serve to benefit you and the people that are around you, you know, cause at the end of the day, sometimes you don't, you don't get to have, like I said, people that you rely on that can do all these different jobs for you that you can delegate to. Sometimes you got to, you know, put on your boots and go to work, you know? And so that, that, that's probably, that's probably my two, two biggest pieces of advice is build those relationships and, uh, and never be afraid to, to do the tough stuff. You know, that, that's at least in my experience, uh, that's how, people tend to tend to get to where they want to be. It, it all comes back to relationship building. I mean, building relationship with the kids, with other coaches, other people like an administration. I agree with you. Uh, everything's about relationships. No doubt. No doubt. All right, coach. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Maybe one day I could have you on again uh, and we'll talk maybe some more defense, maybe some more culture. Uh, but I enjoyed this. You did a great job coach. And, uh, Thank you again for coming on. Coach, I appreciate you. This was awesome. I had such a good time doing this. I would love to come on again anytime you want to have me. Great, Coach. Well, guys, this has been the Armchair Coaching Podcast, and this is Coach Sheffer signing off.